go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4 in your Bibles. Um, last week, Pastor Chris took us through uh, the middle of chapter 4 where Jesus went home. He went to the hometown, to the town where he grew up. He went to the, the synagogue there and he spoke there. He read the scriptures. He spoke and um, the reception wasn't very good. Uh, if you remember, they actually took him out and were ready to throw him off a cliff to kill him. And now Jesus, obviously, this was not his time to die, and so he walked away from that. Uh, but today we'll look at the next section of the chapter, and we'll find that Jesus, as he goes to a different town, he encounters a very different reception to his word. And so the question that, that the text uh, is, is, is asking us to, to answer there is, well, what makes the response to his word so different in this other town? And, and what does that teach us about how we should respond to the words of Jesus? Um, so we'll go ahead and, and read the passage first here. So Luke chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 31. And I'll read to the end of the chapter there. And the word of God says, and, and he, which is Jesus, he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone! What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. And while the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God! But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him, and came to him, and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So as we, as we observe in this passage, the, the main reason for the different response, the different reception of Jesus is because they recognize the nature of Jesus' words. Um, in fact, it, it tells us twice in the passage that they were amazed at what Jesus was saying. Uh, let's go back to the beginning, verses 31 and 32. It says, He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were amazed 
and his teaching. And again in verse 36, later on, it says, amazement came upon them all. So what is it that they were amazed at? Well, we see here in verse 31, it says they were amazed because his message was with authority. So the first thing we see about his word is that it has authority, and, and we'll see it has absolute authority. Now, when the rabbis or the teachers in Jesus' days, they would go around and teach, and they would usually not teach from their own authority. They would quote rabbis, quote different interpretations, but not really speak their own words. Um, so it would go something like, well, this rabbi 300 years ago, he said this about the passage, and this rabbi said this about this commandment, and these are the different interpretations, and um, take it for what it's worth. Uh, whereas Jesus, as we saw last week, he read the Bible, and he said, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing today. He spoke from his own authority. He says, this is what the word says. This is what it means. This is the word of God. And so there was a difference in the way he was teaching. But that would hardly account for the, the amazement that we see here on the, uh, among the crowds, just because he spoke differently. So there's more to it than just his style and the way he teaches. What the crowd is seeing is that his words carry authority. Jesus has authority. Now, you, you're probably aware that recently the Queen of England passed away, and if you've been following that at all, you've seen all the people lining up for, for 12 hours sometimes to pay their respects, and so you see there's a lot of respect for the late queen, um, but you probably know that she didn't actually have any authority. She doesn't make any decisions about the nation of England or about Great Britain. She doesn't make any of the laws, but she's still their queen. And that's, when, when we talk about kings and queens today, that's usually what you find. They, they're there, but they don't have any authority. But it was very different during the time of Jesus, where, where Jesus ministered, was part of the Roman Empire, and as the name suggests, there was an emperor, and that emperor pretty much had absolute authority in the Roman Empire. He could make the laws, he could do what he wanted. If you wanted to change the law, you could change it, and, and everyone would be required to obey. He had the, the armies and the power of Rome behind him, and, and if you didn't obey the commands of the emperor and the Roman leaders, the results would probably be disastrous for you. And that's the kind of authority that the people in Jesus' time knew, and so when they say, you know, he teaches with authority, that's what they're thinking of. So it means that the words he speaks are to be obeyed unconditionally. So the idea of if, if he says it, we better do it. Um, and so what that means for us, obviously, is that Jesus' words require obedience from us. Now, we may read his words, see his words, and we may think, well, I have to figure this out, or I have to reason this through, I have to understand it, I have to agree with it, I have to figure out if this is to my benefit, but that's not how the emperor worked in Rome, and that's most definitely not how Jesus' words work. When Jesus says something, it is to be obeyed. Now, this would be a bad thing if it was a human, like the emperor in Rome, or like tyrants that we've seen throughout history, even today in our world. There are some leaders of countries that have a lot of authority, 
and usually it's not great for the people that live in that country. But here we're talking about Jesus. He is the one with the authority, and, and as Scripture tells us, He is the one who loves us and gave His life up for us. So it's a good thing. And, and in fact, Jesus Himself, that it is love, our love for Him, that should motivate us to obey Him. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if we love him, Jesus says, one way you show it is by obeying my words. Um, it, it's, it's quite straightforward, but we, we sometimes make it compli more complicated maybe than it is. So, so for example, we say, well, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. Well, do we obey or do we try to reason our way out of that one? Or when he says, forgive to the same degree as you have been forgiven by God, do we obey or do we first question whether that's really the right thing to do? Uh, when he says, tells us to deny ourselves and follow him, do we first sit down and try to see, well, what's the benefit for me? Or do we obey? And when he tells us not to worry about tomorrow, do we first decide whether we agree with him? Or do we just obey? If his word has absolute authority, it requires immediate obedience. Now, after Jesus speaks, Luke tells us in the synagogue there, there was an immediate demonstration of the authority of Jesus. So in verses 33 through 35, it says, In the synagogue, as Jesus is teaching, there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, he came out of him without doing him any harm. So Jesus shows his authority right there and then by commanding this, this demon to this man in the synagogue. He was sitting there, possessed by a demon, started saying things, and Jesus commanded the demon to come out, and the demon did. Now, the demon obviously knew who Jesus was and tries to proclaim that to everyone, and Jesus tells him to be quiet. We may look at that and we say, well, why, why does Jesus tell him to be quiet? Well, if, if Jesus started relying on the testimony of demons for people to know who he is, that would be counterproductive to his mission, right? And we don't know if these demons just couldn't help crying out the truth or if they purposely tried to undermine Jesus by saying, hey, you know, we know who he is. He's kind of on our side. You know, you don't have to follow him. We, we know it. We don't know, but, but obviously Jesus says, no, the testimony of demons is not what my mission is going to rely on, and so they just need to be quiet. And guess what? They are quiet. There's that, that obedience to the authority of Jesus. And, but then, as that happens, we see that now the people are amazed, not just as the, at the authority, but there's something else to Jesus' words that they notice. So look with me at verse 36. It says again, Amazement came upon them all, and they began talking with one another, saying, What is this message? For with authority and power 
he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And then the report about him was spreading into every locality in the surrounding district. So they start speaking to everyone about this, but they don't just see the authority of Jesus, they also see the power of his words. And so just as the word of Jesus has absolute authority, it also has absolute power. One demonstration was this, this demon. The words of Jesus caused something to happen immediately. Um, we see examples of this in Scripture many times where the Word of God makes something happen. A good example would be Genesis chapter 1, creation of the world. Um, for example, in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, it says, uh, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Or verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So God speaks, and things happen. God speaks, and, and all it needs to say is, and it was so. Because it just happens like that. Now sometimes people look at that, well, this is you know, God the Father. Well, we know from Scripture that, that Jesus was the one who was actively involved in creation. Um, the beginning of the book of John, he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and it's interesting that he uses the Word for, to speak about Jesus, because we just said the Word has power. Um, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and then it says, All things came into being through Him, through Jesus, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus' word has that power to create. Jesus' word has the power to change things. And that's good, because if Jesus' word has absolute authority, we're to follow every one of his commands. But he didn't give us the power to actually do it, that'd be kind of difficult. But he doesn't just tell us what the commands are and what to obey. He also gives us the power to do it in his very word. So turn with me to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. The, the verses will be up on the screen too. Um, this is Jesus. He is talking to a group of Jews who are interested in his ministry, and it says they even believed in him, believed what he said. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, or some of your translations might say, if you abide or remain in my word. It says, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So he says, my word is truth, and that's what will set you free. Now the Jews answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and you have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So these Jews are saying, well, we are not slaves to anyone, so why do we need to be free? We are free people. Well, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So Jesus says, hey, I'm not talking about human slavery. I'm talking about slavery to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus said, do you want to know true freedom? It's not whether you're a slave or a free man. It's about whether you were enslaved to sin or not. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, we all know he died for the penalty for our sin. 
right? We deserve death and eternal separation from God because of our disobedience. Jesus instead died for us. So the Bible said the righteous for the unrighteous. He took our sin, he paid the penalty so that God can forgive us and still be just. But he didn't just die to, to pay for the penalty of sin, he also died to break the power of sin, to be able to set us free from sin. Now, we still deal with the power of sin because Scripture tells us sin is inside us. Sin as a, as a noun, as a thing, resides inside us, and so we still struggle with it. But Jesus has broken the power of sin, and we can now be set free from that power of sin. And the way he does it, the way God has designed for that to happen, for us to grow, for us to be able to obey Jesus' commands, is through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus' words. Um, as he said in this verse here, if you remain in his word, the truth will set us free. Now, Paul picks up on this in, in many of his letters when he talks to people about how to, um, how to live a life that's worthy of our, our calling, he says, or how to live, basically how to live up to what God has already made us, which is holy. And so, for example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Conformed means to be like something. So he said, don't be like the world. Don't be like don't accept just everything that's going around you, everything you're told, everything you're said to do. Um, he said, don't be like that, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So if you want to know what the right thing to do is, he says you need to be renewed in your mind. Now, he doesn't say renew your mind because we cannot do it ourselves. It's a renewing of our mind that takes place through the Word of God. Uh, Paul talks about the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4, 22-24. He says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. So you lay aside the part of you which is against God, which doesn't want to obey God, which is selfish, which is self-seeking, which is proud. And it says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a, again, it's not you renew your mind. It says you be renewed, passive. You're, you're not the one who's doing it. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So he says, as, as we are being renewed, that's when we, when we can put on the new self, which is a glorious new self. It's in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, if you don't know the truth, you don't know the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Um, Colossians 3.10, Paul says, you've put on the new self who is being renewed. Again, that, that passive there, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So I think we get the point. The Word of God, the power in the Word of God is in the renewing of our minds. The change, our changed thinking is what God is, is doing through His Word. Um, and there is there's incredible hope in this because, like I said earlier, that means that we're not doing this in our own strength by ourselves. The Word of God can do it in us and through us. 
Now, that doesn't mean we can just sit back and just kind of assume this is just going to happen, right? We have a responsibility there. As Paul says in Romans 8, you know, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. So, yes, we have the power of the Spirit and the Word of God that can change us from the inside out, but it's not an automatic process. So the question we want to ask ourselves is, are we putting this power to work in our lives? Now, if someone says, hey, I have the secret here, there's great power here to make all kinds of changes, do all kinds of good things in your life, we'd probably be interested, right? And that's what the Word of God is telling us. There's tremendous power to work in us and through us. So, and, and we just need to ask a question, are we abiding, are we remaining, are we continuing in the Word? Are we meditating on it, internalizing it, memorizing it, applying it, all these different things, are we holding on to it as if our lives depend on it, which they do, right? That's what we just said. Um, Peter, when, when at some one point in John, a lot of disciples have left Jesus, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, are you gonna, guys going to leave too? And Peter says, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's the kind of attitude that if, if, if the word has absolute authority and absolute power, that's the attitude we need to have. We said, what else, where else can we go? This is where it's at. And so we must treat the word accordingly. Obey it and let it take hold of us. Um, Luke then gives us, in, in the text today, gives us two more illustrations of the authority and power of Jesus in the next couple of verses. Um, so first, in verse 38 and 39, we see what happens after Jesus leaves the synagogue. It says, he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now, Simon is Simon Peter. Uh, we usually call him Peter, but his real name was Simon, and that's his home that Jesus goes to. It says, now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. So Peter was married. We don't usually realize that, but most of the disciples were actually married men. So Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. So the authority and power of Jesus' words, he rebukes the fever, and it's gone. And then there's another, another episode here, another scene where, again, Luke illustrates for us the, the power and authority of Jesus, um, verses 40 and 41. It says, while the sun was setting, um, and this is significant because it was the Sabbath day, right? We know Jesus was teaching in the Sabbath in the synagogue, and the Jews had all these rules about the Sabbath day that you couldn't walk more than this, you couldn't carry more than this, you couldn't do all these things. And so the Sabbath ends at sunset. Saturday. And so when Luke says, as this, while the sun was setting, it means the Sabbath has now ended. And so as soon as people have the opportunity, they start bringing all the sick and all the demon-possessed people to Jesus. So it says, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on e each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God, but rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. So we just see more and more illustrations of, of that power. People traveling, he heals, he casts out demons. And, and so now 
Did people understand everything he was saying? Probably not, but they saw enough to know he, will, he has that authority, he has that power. So we're going to take our sick to him, and he will heal them. Um, so we see instance upon instance of, of, of that power, that authority, and then at the end of the passage here, we see the response of the people being very different than the response we saw last week. Uh, so in verses 42 through 44, it says, When day came, so the implication is Jesus has been healing people for most of the night. Uh, when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. Very different from trying to push him off a cliff. And, and you might think, well, you know, this is a great place for ministry. Jesus should probably just stay and people are coming to him. But that's not Jesus' response. He says, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Now, the, the word that's translated must, it, it's a word that means it, it's necessary, it's required, it has to be done. And, and usually when biblical authors use it in the New Testament, it talks about something that's uh, a divine necessity, something that God commands, requires. So Jesus says, this is God's mission for me, and I have to fulfill it. And it makes sense, because if he has the word of truth, the word of power and authority, then it must be spread to the other towns also. And we see Jesus does exactly that, because in verse 44 it says, so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So, so far he's been in Galilee, which is kind of in the, in the north. Nazareth and Capernaum are in that area. And Jesus says, no, I can't stay here. I have to go to other places also. And then he goes to Judea, which is in the south, which is the area around Jerusalem. So he, he does what he said he would do and goes to the other towns. Uh, and I think there's a, an obvious implication there that if we know the word of, of authority and power, the word of Jesus, then there is a requirement to spread that to others. If we have been changed by Christ, and, and we have, you know, he, he brought us from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ, right? And, and it's not just that, that change. When we follow, when we believe and follow Jesus, it says he actually gives us a new heart. He gives us new life. And if that's not something that you have experienced, I would encourage you to speak with me or, or anyone else in this church. We will read and search the scriptures together, read Jesus' words, his promises, to, to make that truth known to us, because that is the, the greatest change someone can experience. When God gives us that new life, and we are now a a child of God rather than an enemy. We will now spend eternity with him instead of eternity away from him. Um, but that's not the only change that God makes in us, right? We, we should be changing all the time. And we just talked about that when we were talking about the power of the word, but God doesn't want to leave us the way we were when he first found us. He, his goal for our lives, according to Romans 8.29, is, you know, he said we're, we're predestined 
to be conformed to the image of his son. So God says, hey, I've already set the destination. This is the plan. This is where you're going to get to. And I've already determined that for you. And that is for you to be like Christ, for us to, to think, to speak, to act like Jesus does, like God himself does. And so all these changes that God is making in us because of his authority and power, we'd want to share that with other people, that, that power, that authority must be known to the world. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, everyone needs to know about this kingdom, so I need to go and preach to them too. Yes, I'm glad that you had a good time while I was here, but that's not really what I'm about. There's, there's other things. My word must go out. And if it has truly changed us, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, the, the word here, the text today has talked to us about the authority of Jesus, the absolute authority of his word, which requires obedience, immediate obedience. And it's talked to us about the absolute power of his word as well. And while Luke gives us illustrations, I think the best illustration would be to to look at our own lives. How, how has the word of God changed us? We have a, a testimony right there of the power of God to change lives. Or at least we should. And if you have not experienced that, like I said, it is the greatest thing and, and it's something that you need to look at in the scriptures and we'd be happy to help you with. But how do we live as people that believe in the absolute authority and the absolute power of the word of Jesus? Well, we must be obedient to it, obviously. But sometimes we leave it there and we just say, oh, just do what the Bible says. And, and as we said, that's, that's not the whole picture because there's also the power of God as we hold on to the word as we dig into the word as we apply it to our areas of need it will change us it will set us free from sin and so that's why you know when someone struggles with sin when someone comes to you or me and say you know we we can't just say oh just read your bible more and pray more what we need to do is we need to take the word of God and be more specific than that. Say, hey, what, what, what does the word say? How do you live up to what it says? And what changes do you need to make? That's how the word of God can, can work in us and change our hearts and say, hey, what are the truths I need to remember to be renewed in my mind? Um, so, so we must be people that say, okay, I have an issue with anger. I'm just going to pray more and hope it will go away. No, that's where we go and say, okay, what does the word say? And what does the word command? What are verses, what are principles I need to memorize and, and let my heart change? Because then the power of the word of God is going to renew our minds, renew our hearts, change the lies we believe for truth, change our selfish desires for godly desires. We must do 
the things it commands us to do, and we will see that it will actually change us if we are willing to obey it. So my encouragement to you would be to, to, to think through if I truly believe these things about Jesus' words, how do I interact with it? How do I live? How can I hold on to it for dear life? Let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, we come before you in, in, in great thanksgiving for sending your son Jesus. We know that that was all of your grace. You didn't need to do that, but he came, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he came down here. We thank you for his teaching. We thank you for the authority and power that we see in him and in his words. And Father, as we worked our way through this text today, as we meditate on, on this, these two characteristics of, of your word, help us to put them into practice. Help us to obey because it has authority. Help us to abide and remain in it, to let it be in us all the time so that we can be renewed in our minds and, and put on that new self, which is created in your image. Father, we thank you for, for making all of this available to us, for giving us the Holy Spirit to, to live in us and to change us. We know that in the end you're doing all of this for your own glory, and everything you do in us, every change you make, every right thing we do is all for you. And so we want to say that it's because we love you, we will obey your commandments. Amen.